You are looking live at the fifth year podcast with Parker Biggs, Zach Ruley, and Clint Maxey. Ladies and gentlemen, can you believe it? These guys are the best with this podcast. Don't even think of making a wager on this upcoming season without checking in with Parker, Zach, and Clint. Take it away, guys. Welcome back to the Fifth Year Podcast, brought to you by Part-Time Beverage. We have got a fun episode ahead, uh, previewing the Oklahoma Sooners, and we are excited to have uh, Bob Prisbello on, who is from uh, Soonerscoop.com. He's down in Norman and has a good of pulse as anyone uh, with Oklahoma football. Bob, thanks for uh, hopping on. Appreciate you guys having me on tonight. All right, Bob. So we got week one ahead. The depth chart is out. Um, let's just hop in with that. Any, uh, what's your biggest takeaway or any surprises to you when you look at uh, the week one depth chart? Yeah, if you're in the OU bubble, the one name that stands out is Jaden Davis at starting cornerback. He's fourth year in the program. I think a lot of us, I'm going to lump myself in this group, thought his best days were past him or that the people who were already on campus were better than what Jaden could bring to the table. And you heard a lot through the first couple of weeks of camp that Jaden Davis was doing really well, but you didn't know how to qualify that. Did that mean he was better than what he's been the last couple of years where he wasn't, he wouldn't be an afterthought or did that mean he could make the leap to be a starter? And when that depth chart came out Monday, found out he was the starter. I think a lot of people, myself, once again, included in that thought that DJ Graham would be the other starting corner to go with Woody Washington, but if Jay Valai had been able to get Jaden Davis back on track, he's someone that had a really solid freshman season and a tight and in a tight spot. And we'll see if he can sort of carry off of what he used to be into who he is now. Yeah, the Jaden Davis news is uh, was surprising to me when I saw that. The, and you, sorry, I was out of here for a second. You might have touched on this. What was also interesting to me is that uh, uh, so many of those transfers that have come in to the Oklahoma program veteran guys a lot of them probably expected to come in and immediately getting a starting spot you know Morrison Colden uh, Laulu I don't know if I'm even saying that right guys like that does that say something about the you know the depth that Oklahoma has on the defensive side of the ball those guys aren't coming in and taking jobs maybe there was more talent there than than expected or realized and the development just wasn't there what what, what are your thoughts on that I agree a hundred percent. And something I've actually mentioned the last couple of weeks is like you're CJ Colden, you're Trey Morrison, you're Jonah Laulu. You came here thinking, all right, well, I know I'm coming here and I'm going to be a starter. So that's part of the reason why I'm doing this. And we're just seeing that. Yeah. There was a lot of talent that was already on campus. They just had to be positioned they had to be molded correctly. And that's what Brent Venables and Ted Roof and the rest of those uh, the guys on that staff have been able to do. Now we're going to see, can those veterans who have been around so long, and you're looking at Trey Morrison, start 44 games for North Carolina. Can he transition to being okay, to being like a spot duty guy? Like, can you, when you talk about instilling culture, building a culture, this will be a test. And I think defensive end is another good spot there. Could you, Ethan Downs, Reggie Grimes, those are two younger guys. Marcus Stripling and Jonah are backing them up. So what what's that dynamic like? If you're truly instilling a culture, it shouldn't matter. But we're all we're all going to find out here in the next you know two three weeks. Yeah, um, no doubt. Let's keep it on the the defensive side of the ball. Um, 
one thing that was surprising to me is that Jalen Redmond hadn't locked up a starting job. He got the classic four on there with uh, Jordan Kelly, a Tulsa kid. Uh, is that more of a case of, you know, Redmond still, you know, he's had some health issues or is it Jordan Kelly has really uh, been that impressive to the uh, coaching staff? If you're an OU fan, you hope it's the former. You really hope it's just the fact Jalen Redmond had the slight concussion. They had to be cautious with him. And what did Ted Roof and Brent Venable say throughout the course of this week about the depth chart? It's what you've earned to this point. So if you weren't available, you wouldn't have a chance to earn what you think you should be able to. And the question is, if we get into week three or week four, and we're still spotty on Jalen Redmond, then you're going to get very concerned that no matter what happens with this guy, he's just snake bitten. He's in the fifth year in the program, and he still can't get that one full season under his belt to show people what he can do. You like what Jordan Kelly brings to the table, and you love what Todd Bates has been able to do with him in such a short period of time. But if OU can make that leap in the trenches, the difference maker they have is Jalen Redmond. He's got to be healthy mentally he's got to be with it and you know we're gonna to have to see it for an entire season were you surprised to see our mason thomas ahead of clayton smith on the depth chart i i was initially and then you start talking anton harrison ethan downs reggie grimes they're bringing up our mason like crazy without even asking about our mason you're just asking like hey how are some of these young these younger guys doing our mason thomas the first guy that they're talking about. And it's even more shocking just because he wasn't a mid-year enrollee. The fact that he showed up in June and has been able to make this, this leap. Now, when we were out to practice about a week and a half, uh, about a week and a half ago, Miguel Chavis definitely show, showed that, you know, he had a lot of trust in our Mason. He had him going first through a couple of the reps. I thought, well, oh, okay. Okay. There's, there's something about this, you know, about this guy, about this freshman that right off the bat, he's earning that, type of trust. I'm not closing the door on Clayton Smith. Gotta remember this was not his position last year. Totally different defensive scheme. So he's still built growing into that. And I thought he looked good with each uh media viewing that we saw practice during the last month. Maybe just a bit of a wake up call that hey, this true freshman's come is is coming for you. Now it's up to you to respond and show us that you belong out there as uh as well. Yeah, going off of that, uh, staying on the defensive side. So when I when Venables was announced the hire, I just assumed he'd be the defensive on-field play caller. But what's that going to be like with Roof and Venables? And is Venables totally out of the play calling, or how will that look? I think he has to be, but that's one of my biggest questions too. What's going to happen Saturday when Brent like really wants to make a call and it's like that's that's not your role anymore. You right. Know? You got other things you're going to have to concern yourself with now. We know Brent works with the linebackers a lot whenever he can during the course of uh, practice, but we know Ted, Ted Roof is someone that he has a lot of trust in, has, you know, a lot of years in 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 the coaching for uh, biz uh, business, and you know, he's got a great grasp of the knowledge of what Brent's going to want to get done. But that's going to be something I don't think we'll find out during the first couple of weeks because you hope there's no panic moments in those first couple of weeks. But when they go to Lincoln, they go to Nebraska – if things ever get into a tight spot, seeing how Brent reacts in a time of, you know, quote unquote crisis is something I think we, we all need to be able to see to have a better gauge of where this team can go. What will OU fans see, I guess, schematically? Uh, what would be the biggest differences in the Alex Grinch speed D versus 
what Brent's bringing in. You hope it's the physicality. I mean, that sounds simple, but that's what we saw throughout the course of practice during this this last month. And that reckless abandon, you know, that's the type of stuff that you saw for years when Brent was here the first time around is like people willing to give themselves up to make a play. Not, not that there's anything really wrong with what, with uh, what Grinch was saying. The first guy gets the tackle and the second, third guy's going for the strip and try and trying to get turnovers. But with Brent's attacking aggressive mindset, you just hope for, you know, the type of hits that make fumbles that cause turnovers to just happen naturally. And so I mean, that's what we've heard it from offense. We've heard it from, from defense. It's an uncommon effort. It's the physicality. We've seen it, and the players have noticed it. It's like talking with Jordan Kelly about this Tuesday night. It's like, it used to be a big deal when we hit someone in practice. Now it's like, that's just what we do. We do the W drill nice and early in practice. We bang heads. We get the, you know that physicality going early, and it sets the tone for the rest of the practice, and it sets the tone for the entire month of camp. I do. Uh, so you're super involved, obviously, with recruiting. And I was wondering, what do you think specifically Venables has done to get to a top four recruiting class in 2023 without coaching a game? Pretty impressive, right? It really, yeah. it's shocked even us to some some degree. Like, we know his reputation is going to get him some some guys, but eventually he's got proof. You know, you can't just have promises. you got to have proof of what you can do. And I think a lot of it is just, it goes from the beginning of what he's talked about. He's relational and he's building those relationships with the players, with their families, like with anyone who is in that inner circle within a recruit, Brent is able to connect with them on such a deeper level. Like it never feels like it's just on, on the surface or that you're just trying to win the kid over to get them into your program. Like he wants to, bring them all in and he's truly going to nurture and make this, you know, not just the best player, but the best man that this recruit can possibly be after three, four years within the OU program. And I think that's resonating with, uh, with parents. And that's why I think, even though there might be some concern, you know, you commit early, you say you can't visit when you're committed. If there's any sort of issues, the in-home visits is where Brent's going to shine. There's no doubt in my mind because with that passion, that enthusiasm, being as genuine as he is, that's going to appeal to parents. And if there's anyone kind of straddling back and forth, that last visit come December is going to be difference maker. But I would like to some. I would like to pivot back to offense. But while we're on this recruiting subject, how you know OU's got what? close to 20 commits already how 22 how, 22 how many spots they have left i think they got about five or six left and that's what's going to be interesting about watching how they navigate through the visit process of game game weekend i don't know if you're going to get any official visits really until baylor and bedlam i just don't see that as being a real option i don't think if you want to get david hicks we know that the five-star defensive lineman from uh, from katie He's looking to make his official visit for Bedlam. That makes a lot of sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense to try to bring in some of these kids during the first couple of weeks. So that's going to be a lot of building with the 2024 and 2025 classes because it's pretty incredible to have 22 commits when you went into June, I believe, with four. And it just it just took off from, from that point forward, almost to where 
whatever recruit they want to get, they got. It was such an impressive role that now we'll see if they lose any momentum or these top elite defensive recruits will be like, I need to see the product. If the product is as good as Brent wants it to be in this first month of the season, will that accelerate the curve even more? Will that put OU in even better positions? It still feels like there's three or four guys that not only are they recruiting, but they're leading for. And then there's maybe two or three others that you're on the fence and you're just going to sort of wait and see how the next couple months go and try to gauge where, where the Sooners stand. Yep. So back, back to the, the field on, on offense, um, it was clear, you know, from the second that he announced his commitment and the second that Caleb was clearly gone, that Gabriel would be the guy, but the competition was maybe mainly more looking at who's the number two quarterback in case Gabriel goes down. Davis Bevel, the pit uh, uh, transfer wins that backup job. From what limited on-field practice stuff you've seen with him, what are your thoughts on him and how much trouble is OU in if, uh, if Gabriel ever, ever goes down this season? Love what Davis has been able to accomplish in a short period of time, but yes, incredibly scared. If something, something happens to Dylan this season, those expectations just throw him all out the window. I mean, it's not just his accuracy, his production, his experience – you know, his knowledge of the offense, the way he commanded just everything throughout the offseason and getting the guys together, camaraderie. I mean, that's something Davis can't replicate in that short period of time. Now, what they've loved about Davis, it was funny how Jeff Levy phrased it, predictability. That sounds like a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing. It's like, okay, when we run this call, this formation, we know what Davis is going to bring us. Maybe there isn't the wow factor, like a general booty or a Nick Evers, but there's a consistency factor and there's the ability to take it, take care of the ball. That's all that's ultimately what won the job for, for Davis, but Dylan's in such c- control of the locker room. I mean, you just hear it from defensive guys, offensive linemen. They're like, I can't believe we've got a quarterback like this, like with this type of off the field character that can combine it with how good he is, on the field i think all the, all those guys just excited not only to play with them but to play hard for him too yeah if if both those if dylan gabriel goes down and so does spencer sanders we could have like a 2014 bedlam type quarterback situation <laughs> which i think the starters well i guess mason rudolph turned out okay but then cody thomas i think started pro you that year so we're pretty bare bones both of the big state schools in the quarterback room experience wise that well he's a big kid though Six yeah, six, two thirty. That's been a yeah. real funny picture. Whenever Dylan and Davis are standing next to each other, and you're thinking, "Well, yeah, Davis has got to be the starter." Just, yeah. just look at that guy. That that he's, Dylan guy's got to be like a he's got to be like a true like a true freshman that's still learning everything. But I mean, that's how the game has changed. I know we've had a lot of questions about that the of the evolution of the smaller quarterback being more recognized, being more productive and of course Dylan Gabriel's another great example of just that I think one of the big question marks uh for the offense going into the season is what's the uh the breakdown going to be uh, of carries amongst the running backs a couple uh, talented true freshmen in that room uh, on top of you know gray major um how do you see you know it's starting out um in week one and then do you see that evolving over time when it comes to a uh, number of touches for some of those guys 
intrigued by the answer by Levy to this Monday because I've been sort of going in my own head thinking one A is Eric Gray, one B is Marcus Major. But Jeff kind of said this is Eric Gray's room until proven otherwise. So that makes me think no matter how good Major's been, Gray's still that much better. So how's that going to lead to the carries? It's very intriguing to, to me just because I think we just all have this vision of who Eric Gray was last season and it wasn't all that great. It felt like he was a one-trick pony, and you know, can he run between tackles? Can he do that type of stuff that's going to be required? If he wants to prove he's an every-down back, he's going to have to do things that every-down backs do, and so we just didn't see that through the course of the 2021 season where you feel like Marcus Major is a perfect fit for what Jeff Levy loves to do with the running game, and anytime he's been in there, he's made a difference. He just has a incredibly limited amount of opportunities throughout the first three years. And I think as those guys get more more comfortable, I do see, you know, spot duty roles for Tommy Walker, Javante Barnes, even Gavin Sawchuk. But if if Major and Gray are as good as what Levy and Brent need them to be or want them to be, then I'm not sure they're gonna de- they're gonna deviate too far from it because those those guys are very fresh. They have a world of potential and they would love to just see them both run wild. Yeah, looking at the the depth chart, talking a little bit about the receivers, they've got some really big kids on the outside. I mean, a lot of height. So I don't know, is that something, surely Levy's trust Gabriel enough to throw a lot of jump balls, but they have a lot of big kids, even two, three deep. Then you know what you're getting with Mims and Stoops, but you don't see many teams with that many guys over 6'3 at the receiver position. And it hasn't worked out for OU, really. When they've gone the tall receiver, there's been a lot of busts yeah. in the last yeah. 10 years. So I know OU fans are, they get a little skittish. Like, they love the thought of a Jaden Gibson. It's an awesome thought, though. Right? It's like, but wow, we'll just too go many to the 6'6 six, six kid. They yeah. see too many people fall flat on their face. And that's you know another thing about, like, like uh, Jaden Gibson. We're hearing all this hype. But is it is he good for a freshman or is he good good? Is he someone – that on this first Saturday, you could trust to make a play on third down when you need it, or is it still going to take some more time? You know, you know, you love, you know, men stoops, as, uh, as you mentioned, Jaleel Farouk, Theo East, those, they have to be the guys or this room is really going to crumble very, very quickly. And cause I mean, you like Gibson, love Nick Anderson, love the height, size, skill, what those true freshmen bring to the table. But you're not, you're not at a spot where you're hoping they leapfrog everybody because that kind of scared you as to what was already in that room to begin with. Yeah, I was going to ask, what's the expectation for Theo Weiss? Obviously, he was one of those, what was it, three five-stars that came in that same year. The other two, a little disappointing. They're, they're out of there. He's the last one remaining. What's, what's, what's he need to do this year to make the next jump? Right. I mean, after the way he closed out 2020, so many people were excited and he breaks his foot in the spring and breaks his other foot. The first week he can't do anything about that. Yeah. So he doesn't have a 2021. And so you're still like, he is, he's the last man standing, the last of those five star, no more Spencer Rattler, Jaden Hazelwood, Trajan Bridges. And like, you know what happened there? Like he's the last one there and you, you can feel him understand the gravity of that like this is my fourth year in a program i've got to make something happen but i was a little concerned in 2020 because i thought he had a lot of opportunities he made some but he left some on the table for someone who was such a sure-handed guy going throughout high school he had some drops that had me 
scratching my head as to what, like, what's going to be Theo's legacy as, as he goes forward. So now we're going to see, I think Dylan's going to put him in a great spot to make plays. I think the tempo is going to help guys like that because bef- the last few years, you know, they've gone with like from 80, 90 plays to like 50, 60, you know, you're missing 30 plays or so try to help out the defense some with tempo, but you're limiting opportunities for your guys to make something happen. And so I think the fact that they're going with this up tempo, you're going to be out there a lot more. And I think that'll give, you know, Marvin and Theo, Jaleel, guys like that, that maybe we're getting three to four targets to six or seven. And maybe we'll get to see what these guys can really do. Yeah, another question mark is tight end because you'd think in a levy offense be a lot more receiving type tight ends. But Braden Willis, not that he's a bad receiver, but he kind of looks more like a blocking tight end. Same thing with Daniel Parker. So what do you expect from Willis this year in the tight end spot? It, this is his year. This is why he came back. I thought all of last season, Braden Willis approached the season like it was his last go around. And he just realized, this is not how I want to go out. These aren't the numbers. This isn't what I want. Right. It's not the tape I, I want to show. And I love that he recognized that. Because, you know, doing that podcast, Jeremiah Hall, you could see, like, Hall had one foot out the door. He was ready to move on. And I think he felt that him and Braden would go on together so it showed a lot of maturity for Braden to acknowledge, no, I still got something more to show. I've never been the featured guy in the room. I want that chance. I want to show scouts what I'm really made of, if he can stay healthy, too. And I like the one-two punch there. Willis says you're primarily your receiving tight end. Daniel Parker taking people's heads off as a blocking guy. And then both of them pushing each other to show that, you know, Parker can be a receiver. Willis can be that that physical blocker. And the fact that Joe John Finley stayed around after the coaching changes and he's played that position, I think you're going to really see that paying off in the second year with with him for for Willis and what he already knew about Parker from his days at Missouri. So, Bob, how about this? I look at the the depth chart and you're around them more than I am. How about one guy from offense and defense, a younger guy who might step up in a big role for defense. Me personally, it feels like Ethan downs and that, that might just me be me going off what I've seen him do on special teams. He's a very sure tackler. Um, But who's, who steps up younger guys, both sides of the ball this year. So offense and I never go lineman. I am. I'm going Tyler Guyton, the transfer TCU. I mean, there's just something about, what this guy brings to the table that it started in the spring, you you heard little bits and pieces, and that amplified greatly throughout the course of this last month. And it's funny because he was on campus. He made his official visit to OU the same weekend as Jackson Dart and Michael Trigg. No one cared that Tyler yeah. Guyton was on campus that January weekend. Much like, afterthought. Yeah. It could end up being – a huge piece to the puzzle with his size, his athletic ability, and just how happy it seems to be that he is in Norman. You flip it over to defense, Ethan Downs is a great is a great one, a true sophomore. I'm going to go linebacker and Danny Stutzman. Yeah, we saw glimpses of when he was healthy, what he was able to do. Moving to Sean White to Cheetah basically told David Aguebu and Danny Stutzman, it's your show now run this inside linebacker room the way it needs to be, be the heart and soul of the defense. And I think Danny and David are both embracing that. And I think Danny is going to become a household name by the end of this year. 
Yeah, and we we know how big a role linebacker plays in Venables defense. James Stalski for um, from Clemson. I mean, huge guy in that Venables defense. Maybe Stutzman can fill that role. Yeah, and you know, just the the fact that they separated it, where you know the Mike is a Guaybu, the Will is Stutzman. It's like they're not trying to figure out where these guys fit. They know where they belong, and that's allowed them to get that chemistry going even earlier than what you might have first thought, and yet they still have a spot for Deshaun White at the Cheetah, so you're, you're not, like, not, you know, stepping over toes of a, up, of an upperclassman, but everyone's got their part. They know what they need to do, and obviously they're just all excited to go out there Saturday and, and start getting this thing going. Yep. Yeah, so looking forward to Saturday. We'll finish up here. What are your expectations? Anything to worry about with UTEP? Obviously, probably not, but what are your expectations – yeah, this week and going Texas out for the rest of the year. Yeah, you just want to see execution. I know that's boring. That's very bland yeah. to say. Because, but because the first two two quarters are going to be what you really gauge the, these first two weeks of the season off of. You're really hoping third quarter, next two Saturdays, mean absolutely nothing except for depth to come in, for true, true freshmen to get their feet wet, to know if they're ready to go to Lincoln and be a part of the plan. So, you know, you're hoping 42-7 in the third quarter or something of that nature. You, you want to see guys being in the right spot. I mean, it's something that Venables has preached so much and it's what the players have talked about so much throughout the course of the last couple of weeks is like, He's on us about every minute detail, like where our feet are, you know, where the gap is. It, it's, it's stuff that sounds like it wasn't ingrained into their head with the for, with the, the former staff, or if it was, it's just a different way communicating the uh, message. So I want to just see them be in the right spot. Uh, it sounds very plain and simple, basic, but that is going to be half the battle. If you're where you're supposed to be, at least you're in, you're in – line to try to make a play that's just up to you to go and do it right and last thing and we can get you out of here what what's a successful season for the Sooners this year you know the the older generation might say well they should win a national championship <laughs> being realistic what what's a what's a really good year one for Brent Venables and his team I actually I didn't go national championship but I think they could get a four seed I, yeah. I definitely think they think that it's it's possible I was I see like oh boy, you go nine and three, I guess. I could see that possibility too. But I said they go 12 and two, but they understand they're not where they need to be still. It's a season that gives OU fans a lot of hope. And at the same time, like, okay, now we understand what's it going to take to get to the SEC to be at that type of level. And we know we're headed in the right direction with Brent Venables leading the charge. I, I think that's a perfect scenario. I don't know what regular season game they lose. Like, I think a lot of OU fans are hoping they don't lose that game they're not supposed to. Like, you don't want to, you know, you don't want that hiccup. It's like, how did that happen? Like, if you lose Bedlam or Texas or Baylor, people will be angry, but they'll forgive you. It's like, that's a good team. There's not nothing, there's no shameful part of that. So they want to take care of business against the teams you're supposed to. And then we'll see how they do against the, best of the best but I, this team they're they're favored in every game for a reason they've got a schedule that matches up very well for a first year head coach to be able to take advantage of that and figure and figure out what his team looks like heading into 
the back half of the season and try to get stronger as the year keeps going. Still not a national championship level team just yet, but getting closer and closer, especially if you can close out that 2023 recruiting class as strong as what it looks like it could possibly be. I think even as, I mean, Clint, I don't want to speak for you. As an OU fan, though, even if it was just, say we went nine and three, but I see the defense flying around hitting a little harder. Yeah. I think that gives me a little bit something to be happy about, though, going forward. Even though we did lose three games, that means we probably lost one or two we shouldn't have. Still, just seeing the defense play physical, I think, is a big, big step in the right direction. Yeah, I think any Venables defense will be a hopeful step in the right direction from what we see on the field. But we are looking forward to the year. Bob, we appreciate your time. Parker uh, dropped on us, so technical difficulties. Apologize for that. But, uh, yeah, appreciate your time. We're looking forward for the year. All right, guys. Appreciate it.